Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. Jesus is the king, huh? Do you believe that tonight? He's the king. He's worthy of our praises. He's worthy of, of our adoration and our, and, and, and our singing and our praise and our entire lives. Man, it's good to serve Jesus, students. It's good to live for him. It's good. It's good. Well, good evening. Welcome our last night gathering. We'll have another gathering tomorrow at noon, I believe, after brunch. Uh, you guys looking forward to sleeping in tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. You got, I had guys in my cabin being like, man, I know we're, like, we're just getting on the bus to leave to camp, but I'm already excited to sleep in on Monday. So uh, wait, maybe that was me. Oops. Uh, but yeah, so tomorrow morning, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. You guys get to just sleep in. We're going we're gonna to rest, all right? We're going to rest. We'll get up. We'll have brunch. And then we'll come in here and we have one more gathering, one more message, and, uh, and just one more time, really sweet time together that we're going to spend. And so uh, tonight, though, tonight we're going to continue in the book of Mark. And I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. One of the most important, perhaps the most important passage in the entire book of Mark is found in Mark chapter 8 tonight. And we're going to break it down in, uh, starting in verse 27. So go ahead and open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 8, uh, grab your notebooks, grab your pens, and, uh, and get ready here. So as you do that, let me ask you a question, all right, school-related question, warning, trigger warning, the word school may trigger some of you, so uh, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to bring up school, okay? Have you ever been in a classroom setting, let me finish, <laughs> like, whoo, easy one, check, yes, all right. Have you ever been in a classroom setting, right, where you're tracking, and you're like, I'm good, right? Today I'm going to pay attention. Today's the day. I'm just, I'm going to be an all-star student. And the teacher starts talking, and you have no idea what she's talking about, right? You know what I'm saying? You're like, all right, all right, listen, I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a good girl. And ready, go. And she starts talking, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Right? Uh, spoiler alert. For some of you, maybe you're not here yet in math class, but you will come to a point in your math education where they're going to drop a major bomb on you, all right? <laughs> you thought algebra was tricky, right? Remember, remember when you were like, why do we have letters in our numbers? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then you get a little bit crazier, and they start telling you that you can actually graph numbers and parabolas and ellipse, ellipses, and you're like, now you're just making stuff up, right? And then they start talking about these little exponents where like, you can do weird things, and then they, then they bust out derivatives, and you're like, now I know you're making stuff up, right? And then, <laughs> then they come to the point here, and I'm just like, I quit, right? They come to the point and they go, all right, students, we're going to teach you a new concept. It's called imaginary numbers. And you're like, I can't even get the real life numbers. Now you're trying to tell me that there's imaginary numbers out there, you know, floating numbers, imaginary, what? Now I know you're just making stuff up, right? I don't get it. I don't get it, teacher. Right? Or maybe, maybe you're like, Maybe the math thing is good for you. And you're like, no, dude, I get imagine. I invented imaginary numbers. I count imaginary numbers in my sleep. Okay, I grant that to you. But perhaps, perhaps English is the thing that really gets you, right? And I remember when I used to be normal. And I used to read books and watch movies. And it was just a story. 
Remember? Remember when like Little Red Riding Hood was just a story? Remember the good old days? Remember when like the Big Bad Wolf was just a story? And you get to high school and your English teacher drops this bomb on you by asking the most obnoxious question ever. But what does it mean? And you're like, I, I thought she just had a red hood and she was just running away. No, Sam, she's running away from youthfulness and she's growing into maturity and, and the big bed wolf represents. And I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? And I remember I looked at my English teacher in her eyes, right? It was the last day of 10th grade English. And I looked at her and I said, thanks a lot, Mrs. Reduce. And she goes, for what? Because you ruined every story ever. And she goes, that's my job, Sam. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're just, what are you talking about, teacher? I have no idea what you're talking about. We had the privilege of having Mrs. Reduzzi back for junior year, okay? <laughs> we come back and we're like, all right, we got, uh, I don't even remember her name because we didn't have her, but we found out that the English teacher, the junior English honors teacher, had a baby that summer, right? And so Mrs. Reduzzi was going to be following the class up and she was going to be our junior English teacher. And we're like, <laughs> for real? And so she starts teaching us, and she goes, all right, students, I've realized that in your education that you have been extremely deficient at grammar, and so we need to teach you the power of breaking down a sentence. And I'm like, like, we're going to rap? Like, what do you mean break it down? And she's, so she starts, like, you know, she writes things like, Joe throws the ball, right? What's the subject? Sports! She's like, no, what is the subject of the sentence? And I'm like, basketball. No, no, no. Joe is the subject, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? She starts talking about gerunds and participles and just, and you know, any, you know what I'm talking about? Conjunction, junction and prepositions and in, out and around and the rabbits running around the tree. And you just look at the teacher and you go, what are you talking about? You've been there? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Every single day. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. She starts talking about, if you can break down a sentence, you have the power to do anything. I'm like, I still can't fly. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) You can do anything you want, students, in life. If you can just break down a sentence and point out the adjectives and the modifiers and this and that. Side note, she was actually kind of (laughs) right. To this day, I told my wife, I go, to this day, no class has had more of a profound impact on my ability to read the Bible than my English class. So a little plug there, learn English, right? I speak English good, Sam. I don't need to. Yeah, pay attention, okay? English was good. But but my point is you've been in those situations where the teacher's talking and you go, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so we've seen over the last couple days that this teacher, this, this, this rabbi, he's starting to gain some followers. He's starting to pull people alongside of him. And as he's teaching them, he starts to say certain things. And you come to the point where the disciples are looking at him. They go, I have no idea what you're talking about, teacher, right? Jesus, now I know you're just making stuff up. I, I, Jesus, I know that some of the stuff was kind of far-fetched. And I know the, the talk about the water cool, around the water cooler was kind of exaggerated. But Jesus, now you're just, what are you talking about? You ever been there? Tonight we're going to see a story of where his followers, they look at Jesus and they just think he's lost it. And they just go, teacher, you are just, now you're just making stuff up. And he blows their mind, as usual, as he corrects their understanding. And so check out the verses here. Mark chapter 8. Let's look at the story. 
And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And Jesus, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Okay? We see Jesus interacting with his disciples. And the first thing we see here is that there are varying perspectives on Jesus' identity. There are a number, there are differing perspectives and opinions about who this Jesus guy is. What is he all about? Who is he? What's his identity? And so there's a lot of buzz going around, right? Jesus, he's this teacher that we've seen, and his teaching is just profound. And then he started to get some followers, and now he's got this crowd, right? And then they saw him heal this paralytic, and people are just like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? All throughout the book of Mark, the buzz is just growing and growing and growing. And the question that Mark continues to bang the gong on is, who is Jesus? And so like every great teacher, the way that they teach, he asks a question. And he sparks some thought and he provokes their thinking by asking them the simple question. He says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And so look what they tell him. They say, well, Jesus, you know, I was out at the market the other day and I just so happened to overhear a conversation at the cash register next to me. And they were like, oh, did you hear about Jesus? Yeah, I think he's John the Baptist, right? Why would they think that? Well, you got to remember, who, was the, who had the biggest following right before Jesus came onto the scene? John the Baptist, right? Who, start, who Right before Jesus came, who was the person who had gathered this giant crowd, who had these giant mobs of teaching? Who was the personality that had swaths of people going out to the wilderness and getting baptized? Who was the one that was kind of building some excitement and some buzz? It was John the Baptist. But he was dead. And so some people, their theory was that Jesus was probably John the Baptist raised from the dead. Kind of ironic, isn't it? <laughs> Close. Spoiler alert, he will. So some people think that he's John the Baptist come back with a vengeance. And now his mob has even grown and his popularity has increased. Some people say that he's Elijah. Right? Wait, Elijah lived like 600 years ago. They think that a guy that was 600 years dead came back. No, 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 no. you got to understand the context, right? In this day, it was, it was a very common expectation that right before the king came, right before God's Savior came, that there would be a figure in God's plan, there would be a figure who would come right before the king, and he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so they go, oh, you know what, this Jesus guy is popular. I mean, I'm not like that into him, but he is pretty cool. So I bet you he's the one that's going to be the forerunner. I bet you this Jesus guy is the one who's to come before the real king. Because, I mean, you look at Jesus, he doesn't really look like a king, right? Like, I mean, I did, he did the miracle thing, so God is definitely with him. But maybe he's like step one, and then we'll have our real king. And then the conqueror will really come. Some people think that. And others, they say one of the prophets. Yeah, I mean, he's just like... Used in the prophetic. I mean, Jesus is just a guy that the Holy Spirit is speaking through and just he's just another prophet in the line of prophets, right? 
Who do people say that I am? If you were to look around your high school, if you were to look around your middle school, who do people say that Jesus is? What are some of the opinions, what are some of the theories about Jesus that float around your circles, right? Well, I mean, I I think that Jesus, I mean, yeah, he was cool. I got no problem with Jesus. He was was a great teacher, you know? Oh, I I, I mean, Jesus was cool. He was probably one of those humanitarians, you know? Kind of like Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa. I think Jesus was kind of one of those figures. He was just like a really good person who taught people that we're all in this together and that we should just love each other. You'll meet other people that you go, dude, I think Jesus was just crazy, you know? I think Jesus was a liar, right? I don't even think that Jesus was real. How could you argue that Jesus isn't real? Well, no, I mean, he probably lived, but I think that, I think this book is so messed up and, and this book is so highly fabricated that, that the, the, the myth of Jesus, the, the, person, the persona of the Jesus that we love and sing about, that guy actually never really lived. He was just an ordinary guy. Who do people say that Jesus is in your circles? There are varying perspectives about Jesus' identity. But look what Jesus says here, right? Because he says, okay, there there are opinions about me. Okay, there are a lot of theories and narratives floating around out there, but I want you to pause. Who do you say that I am? All right? Who do you say that I am? I'm less concerned with the narratives and the theories floating around, and I'm more concerned with who you in your heart, in the decision that you've made about the identity of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Well, I think a lot of people think, no, no, shh, 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 no, no. I don't want to know what a lot of people think. I want to know what you think. In your heart, what have you made, what conclusion have you come to about the person of Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Students, this is the most important question that you will ever answer in your life, okay? The most important question that you will ever answer in your life is what you think about the identity of Jesus. Because students, you're growing up, right? You're going to be men and women, and you can't hide in the crowd of narratives. You can't hide in the multiplicity of uh, the multitude of opinions. You can't hide and be indifferent and say, well, I'm just going to go with the flow, and whatever the people on the left and right of me say, I'll just kind of maybe just attach on to them, but I never really made that decision for myself. No, you as a person, you individually, who do you say that Jesus is? Was he crazy, thinking he was God? Was he a liar, just driven for power and and full of ego? Or was he actually who he said he was? God. Who do you say Jesus is? I had a meeting with a student this past week before camp, and, uh, and she said to me, man, you know, like, I just, uh, I love God still, but man, like, I have so many questions about the Bible, and, and I have so many questions that my professor just, man, I hate him. He just keeps bringing things up and, and talking about this in the Old Testament, and, and then what about this in history, and, and I just feel like I'm lost, and I just feel like, how can I connect with God if I have so many questions about the Bible, life, and God? And this is what I said to her. I said, hey, listen, listen, we'll get there. We can talk through those things, but here's the starting point, because that's what she wanted to know. Where, like, how do, where do I even start to answer all these questions? I go, here's the starting point. What do you believe about Jesus? You start with Jesus. Well, what about evolution and the Bible? And then, no, no, no. Start with Jesus, because everybody agrees Jesus existed. He was a real person. And so you start there. What did Jesus 
Who was Jesus, right? What do you think he was? And then from there, if you do believe that Jesus was God, then you could start to have some opinions about the Bible because you go, whoa, if Jesus really was God, then let's look at the way that he treated scripture. Oh, so if he found the Old Testament reliable and he was God, if he treated it that way, then I could treat it that way. So I could, boom, I now have confidence in the Old Testament. Well, was Adam and Eve really a historical person? I don't know. How did Jesus talk about Adam and Eve? How did Jesus teach about sin and the creation of man? He treated it like it was historical fact. So because I believe in Jesus, boom, I can now go to that next step. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's the most important question that you will ever answer. Does that make sense? And so he asks Peter this, and Peter reveals his decision. He says to him, you're the Christ. He doesn't say, I think you're the Christ, in my opinion, right? IMO. No, no, he goes, no, you're the Christ. He's convinced of it. He says, I know this. You're the Christ. What does the Christ mean? Christ is simply this. It means anointed one, right? And so, Quaylen, come here, right? Like, in the old days, if I wanted to appoint a new king, I would have him here, I would take out my oil, and I would just do this, right? Not, well, with oil, right? I'd anoint him with oil. That was a sign. That was the symbolism of the day to go, you are now anointed as king, right? In our culture, we know a little bit something about that, right? You're king. You have been anointed as king. Thank you. And so in this culture, every single king that has ever ascended to the throne was the anointed one. You're anointed. I anointed you as king. You're anointed, right? You're the king. So now, in this long line of kings, there started to become this expectation. Remember we talked about the expectation? The time is fulfilled. They've been expecting it. They've been looking forward to the day that not just any king would reign, but the king. They were looking forward to the day that not just any king would come, not just any anointed one would come, but the anointed one, God's king. And so what Peter is saying is, yeah, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the anointed one. I believe you are the one that God has empowered and declared to be the king of his kingdom. And you know what Jesus says? He goes, you're right. Don't say this to anybody. You're absolutely right. I am the king. For eight chapters, there's been this mystery. Who is this guy? He, he heals a paralytic. He calms the storm. He speaks to the wind and the waves. Who can do this? Who is this guy? And he says right here in chapter eight, at the climax of the book, I'm the Christ. Don't tell anybody. What's that about? And this is what he's saying. He goes, you are absolutely right, Peter. You are right about my identity. You are right that I am the Christ. But I understand, because he can read hearts and minds, but I understand that you are wrong about what that's going to mean. He goes, Peter, I am the king, but I think I need to fix the understanding that you have about what that's going to mean. And I need to teach you exactly what it means to be the king and what it looks like for the king to reign. And what I'm going to teach you may actually shock you. And so before you start going and spreading the good news that the king is here, let me show you how the king is going to rise to power. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and, and, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and, and be killed. And then, after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning, 
and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so Jesus reveals to his disciples, yes, I'm the king. Yes, I'm the anointed one, but you need to understand that I must die in order to rise. Yes, I'm the king, but I'm not the kind of king that you were expecting. I must die in order to rise. And look what he says here. I want you to circle this word in your Bible. He says, he must suffer, right? Jesus is not simply predicting the future, right? Hey guys, I'm the king. I'm gonna try really hard, but I already know the ending. I'm gonna fall a little bit short, right? He's not simply just predicting the outcome. He's saying, no, the outcome is necessary. Must means I, I have to. It means it is necessary. He's saying the reason why I came to this earth is actually to suffer and die. Before I put on a crown, I need to be put on a cross. And they're sitting there, right? And imagine they're just shocked. If I was a presidential campaign manager, this is probably not the strategy I'd come up with, right? Would you? All right, Brendan, you're running for president, man. I'm so happy. We're going to get you into that White House, Brendan, right? Brand, Brendan, 2020, here we come, all right? And so, Brendan, here's my campaign. Here's my proposal. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off an entire countrywide tour in New York City, right? And they are going to boo you to the ground. <laughs> and then, dude, it gets better. It gets better. Then we're going to hop in the car. We're going to drive to Chicago. And, dude, I lined up some mean muggins for you, bro. They're going to mug you, rob you, beat you blind, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to get on camera, photos, photo ops, the entire thing, dude. It's going to be awesome, right? You're going to be mugged, right? Just beaten with an inch of your life. And then, dude, we're going to do the grand finale of my campaign, right? Grand finale, we're going to drive to California. And, bro, when we get to Compton, just, <laughs> let me just tell you what I got planned for you in Compton, right? We're going to kill you. And then the White House. That's your path to power? Wait, 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 you're the king. You just told me that I was right. And you're saying that the way that you're, the path that you're gonna take to power leads through death and suffering? That's definitely not the game plan that I would have drawn up. And so Peter, he expresses his feelings, right? And before we give Peter a hard time, imagine what it was like being Peter here. Since Peter was a little boy, right, since, since the days that he sat on his mother's knee, he heard stories about the coming king. Since the time he was a little boy, he just heard stories and they sang songs and they made up, you know, uh, stories about the future and prediction and all these things. He was just filled with pictures of the day that the king would come and free them from Roman, the Roman Empire. He would free them and he would establish a kingdom that would rule in, in righteousness and peace and prosperity. And he's sitting here looking the king in his eyes. And that king tells him, yeah, I'm going to die. And then I'll rise to power. I'm going to die. Before I put on a crown, I need to be put on a cross. And so Peter, he just can't handle this. He goes, no, 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 I don't get that. No, 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 this doesn't even make sense. No, Jesus. And he rebukes Jesus. And he tells Jesus, he goes, you're wrong. Stop thinking this way. We'll never let this happen. Come on, Jesus, why are you feeling so down? You gotta have confidence. 
You're the king, Jesus. And he rebukes him. And look what Jesus does here. He rebukes Jesus. And Jesus, it says that he turned and saw his disciples. That's beautiful. Because Jesus is sitting here talking to Peter, right? And it's like, as Peter's talking, Jesus is like, man, do I... What, do I even have to put him in his place? What's going on? And he turns and he looks at his disciples. He turns and looks at the followers and he goes, man, if they don't get this, they're not gonna get any of it. He looks at his disciples and he says, if I don't straighten up this misunderstanding, if I don't clarify for this, if I don't clarify this for them right now, they'll never get it. They'll never get, they've come this far, but if they don't understand why my death is necessary, then they will fall away and it will all be for naught. And so inspired by that, right? Moved by the compassion for his followers, he turns to Peter and he rebukes Peter. And look what he says here. He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, your perspective is of this world. And let's just call it for what it is. Satan is the leader of this world. Your perspective is of this world the prince of this world, get out of my way. And so as Jesus talks, he reveals that there's two perspectives, right? He reveals that there's two ways to think about things. And the first way are the things of God, and the second way are the things of man, right? He says, your mind is set on the things of man. And so by things of man, he's saying the values, the pursuits, and the priorities of this world. Peter, the way that you're thinking, you're holding on to, you're valuing, you're, you're pursuing the way that the world defines things. And the way that the world defines things is saying, dude, life and then death. Live it up now. Take what you want now. Get what you need now. YOLO. And then die. <clears throat> you only got so many years on this earth. And so students, you better live it up and then die. That's having your mind on the things of man. But in contrast to this, we see the things of God. These are the values, pursuits, and priorities of God. These are the way that things operate in the perspective of the kingdom. In this domain that God is establishing, in this place, the way to think is not life to death, but it's death to life. It's countercultural. And this is the perspective that Jesus is operating with. He's operating according to this perspective in the kingdom, uh, not, not according to the things of man. And he says, I need you guys to get this. I need you to understand that my path to life goes through death. I need you to understand this because it's the same exact path that you're going to take. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain in the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
final thing we see Jesus saying here is to find your life, you must lose it. He says, I need you to understand the path that I'm taking to life because it's the same exact path that every single one of my followers needs to take if they're gonna experience eternal life. To find your life, you must lose it. Quite the slogan for getting new followers, huh? Jesus Christ, king of the universe. Wanna follow me? Come and die. Quite the slogan for getting new followers. But Jesus, student, and this is what makes Jesus so good and such a good teacher and such a, 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 a beautiful person to follow. He always gives it to us straight. Students, the, the, the leaders in this room, they love you to the degree that they're willing to tell you the truth. Right? We love you enough to tell you the truth. And Jesus here, as a good teacher, he says, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're going to follow me, I want you to be able to count the cost. I don't want you to think that it's rainbows and pumpkins and cotton candy and, and all these good things. I want you to understand that if you're going to follow me, if you're going to follow me on my path to eternal life, it's going to go through suffering, death, and rejection. And then you'll get there. Are you surprised that when Jesus is teaching and making followers, that almost every other chapter we find, and people walked away? And people left, and people found this saying too hard, and people saw, thought that Jesus just went a little bit too far, and people thought that Jesus lost his mind, and people thought that Jesus was crazy, because he's speaking the truth. He's not hiding it. He wants you as you come to camp, as you come to the, to the, to the uh, as, as you're confronted with the truth of the gospel. He says, no, 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 let's not misunderstand here. If you want to find life, if you're here and you say, man, I just want heaven and I want to be with God and I want to live life the way that it was meant to live, then he says, then I need to break it to you, students. You're going to go back to Vancouver and you're going to die. And then you'll really live. And this is a hard saying. I struggled even working on breaking this down and articulating it. And I threw out so many drafts because every time I wrote a draft, I felt like, man, you know what? I feel like I'm kind of putting the kids' gloves on it. And far be it for me to ever declaw Jesus' words from his authority and his truth and his abiding edge. And I'm just giving to you it straight. You want to save your life? You're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for Jesus' sake, if you're willing to come to Jesus and die, you'll find it. And I know that's not an attractive message. I know that that's not the best way to get followers. But students, I rather have a core, committed youth group of students who are willing to follow Jesus to the ends of their world, to the ends of the earth, though none may follow, than to have the biggest crowd in Vancouver of people who want to have fun and, and goof off and never really truly explore the claims of Jesus. I'm just being honest. And so these are some hard sayings, and so he breaks it down here for them. <clears throat> he says, let me, let me explain this to you, right? Let me, let me, let's look at this. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will actually save it. So let's just clarify here. When he's talking about life, he's not talking necessarily about physical life, okay? Man, if I want to follow Jesus, I have to die? Wait, that is, how do I live for Jesus if I'm dead? No, no, no. He's not necessarily talking about your physical, my heart is beating. He's not talking about the blood coursing through your veins. When he says life, he's talking about your life. 
He's talking about your, the life that you're building. He's talking about your sense of purpose. He's talking about the identity that you will live out, your personality and your personhood and your selfhood. He's talking about your life. And the world has a very particular definition on what a successful life is. The world is going to tell you, oh, you really want to have a good life? Oh, you really want to live it up? Oh, you really want to have a life? You really want to win at life? Then here's what you need. And we're right back to the table as last night. And so Jesus, when he's saying lose your life, when he says don't try to save your life, he's basically saying this. To save your life means that you are pursuing life according, according to the way the world defines living. And so you're here and you're going, man, the world has this definition of life and I want to get life. I want to pursue and take hold of that life. And so if you find yourself running and pursuing and trying to hold on to the way that the world defines life, he says, you've actually, you already lost it. Because even if you get all of the riches and all of the success and all of the relationships, even if you get everything that the world says is really living, if you get all of that, and lose your soul. Was it worth it? All of that in the name of, I want to live. I want to live it up. So live your life. Yeah, I want life. And somewhere along the road, you lost your soul. Somewhere along the road, you rejected Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the road, you rejected your creator. And so those who are trying to save their life actually lost it. But on the other hand, Jesus is saying, if you're willing to lose your life, if you're willing to lose that life, if you're willing to, to reject and die to the desires of living life that way, if you're willing to... to you forfeit your soul, if you're willing to not chase the life that the world offers, if you're willing to reject that and pursue Jesus, then you actually really did find life. And so here's what happens, students, and here's what makes living for Jesus so hard at your age. I'm just sorry, I'm being honest. Living for Jesus is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Christianity is not for wimps. Christianity is not this thing of just, you know, I just, it's just really easy. No, it's hard living for Jesus. Because here's what happens. When you start to do this, when you go, I don't want what the world offers. Everybody looks at you and says, you're losing. Dude, you're losing the game of life. You're losing. You're not getting any of the thing that matters. You're losing the race. But in reality, you're look, you can look at them and you can say, actually, I'm not even playing that game. Yeah, I may be losing the race, but I've actually decided to not even run that race. But bro, what about all the this, the this, the this? You'll never get this, dude. You're going to lose it. You're never going to actually live it up. You'll never get all these things that are awesome. You'll never have life. And you can look back and you can quote Jesus' words to them. And you can say, actually, I did find life. Because the way to life is through death. You can look at them and you can say, no, I'm actually building a life. I'm actually building an identity that is not founded on those things. Instead, it's founded on Jesus. And for those who are willing to lose their life in the process, you actually saved it. You actually saved the only thing that matters. 
with your soul. Imagine if, uh, imagine you go to the, the meal hall here, right? You walk into the dining room and you guys are running there, you're running there, and right at the door, you open those doors, right? You're running, you walk in, and right there, you see behind me, right? You see that those entire, both of those counters, right? The entire counter is covered in a, in a buffet, right? What, what would be in the buffet? What would be in the buffet? Bacon is there. What else? Chicken is there, right? Huh? We got mac and cheese, right? The Panera mac and cheese from Costco. You got unglaze. What else? You got cheddar cheese and hash browns. And this, I mean, it is a buffet. This is not the stuff from the dollar store, friends. This is like the ho-ho-ho kind of food, right? It's that French stuff, that foin stuff. And it's there on the counter. And and before you even try to get there, though, I jump in the way and I go, hey, I got something even better for you. And I pull out the creamiest, most titillating, sensational, appealing milkshake. And you came in here and you are like sweating because you sprinted all the way from Harlow Lodge. You didn't even stop. You didn't even open the door. You just busted through. You're there and you're dripping sweat. And as you look at that milkshake, you go, that con looks good. And at that moment, you have a decision, right? You say, I could, I could take this milkshake and man, it would taste awesome right now. And it would probably taste good going down and it would cool me off. And you know, actually, I probably even deserve the milkshake because I mean, I've, I've worked hard, right? I just, I could do the milkshake right now and I know that like, he won't let me go to the buffet. It's a choice between the two. And so I could do the milkshake. And so you eat, you save your ability to eat, right? But whoever saves their ability to eat actually loses their ability to feast on something so much better. But those who walk into the dining hall and are willing to die to their life, those who walk into the dining hall and are willing to say no to the way that I define what's good and delightful and delicious and nutritious, those who are willing to refuse to eat are actually those who are going to eat. Do you get it? Those who walk in and say yes to the here and now and say yes to the immediate aren't really going to eat at all. And so the moral of the story is if you want to eat, don't eat. If you want to eat the bacon and the hash browns and the unglaze and the, and the Swedish, what the cheddar cheese, if you want to eat, if you really want to eat, don't eat. If you really want to save the shot that you have to eat of something of substance, then when you walk through those doors immediately, don't eat. And it sounds so paradoxical, but do you get it? If you really want to eat, don't eat. If you really want to save your life, don't try to save your life. If you're willing to lose your life, you'll find it. If you're willing to lose your life, you'll find it. And so the question for you, as you look at Jesus, as you see his teaching to Peter, as you see his teaching to the disciples, as you see him calling people to come and die, the question for you is, are you going to live it up now and then die forever? Or are you willing to die now and live forever? Those of you in middle school, where are my middle schoolers at? Can you just wave at me? Those of you in middle school, you are confronted with things that I, have never, I could have never even imagined when I was in middle school. And the world is loud. 
There are milkshakes all around your middle school, and they are calling, and they're offering you, dude, live it up, this, haste this, this is so good, get some of this. And so middle school students, are you going to live it up now just to forfeit your soul? To what end? Or are you willing to die now and live forever? Are you willing to die to what people call life? And we just put it in quotes because it's not even life at all. Are you willing to die now to that life? So that you can live, really live, really feast on your soul forever. High school students, where are you at? Exactly what I said and then some, right? Man, you guys are not just confronted. Man, it, it pains me. I walk around Union Campus. I go there. I try to go there every Wednesday and have lunch. And I walk around and I see some of my students, you know. And you guys aren't even just confronted with ideas. Like in middle school, you're confronted with opportunities. You start to experience freedom, right? And now the things that you heard about and the things that you dreamed, it's actually now like, here you go, man. It's yours if you want it, right? Things you only heard about in middle school are now being offered to you. And they're like, dude, here, you want it? Dude, come eat. Live it up. Here is life right now. It's yours for the taking. Live it up now. And the question I want you to ask yourself this weekend, are you willing to die? Are you willing to refuse to chase life so that you could really live? Are you going to live it up now? and then die forever because you lost your soul? Or are you willing to follow Jesus and die and really live? Because the way to life is through death. I follow Jesus. Mom and dad, I want to tell you, I follow Jesus. Oh yeah, what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to be a good boy and girl? No, it means I die. Hey friends, I want to tell you, man, like I live for Jesus. I'm a Christian. I follow him. Oh, what does that mean? Does that mean you don't do bad things? Does that mean you don't have premarital sex and you don't drink and you don't do drugs? That, that's what Christianity means, right? No, no, actually it means I die so that I can live. The path to life is through death. The way to life is through death. And students, the call this weekend is come and die. I'm calling you, come and die. Come and die. Sam, I don't, oh man, I, when you say it, Sam, it just sounds like it makes sense, but I just, I don't know if I can do that, Sam. I don't know if I have what it takes to come into the kingdom and have that kind of perspective. Sam, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I have enough willpower. I don't know if I have enough oomph. I don't know if I have enough gumption to come into the kingdom and actually say no every day and die. Here at camp, it's easy, right? Here at camp, I'm saying, yeah, I can die. And then I go home and I have the craziest day of my life. It's called Tuesday. And then, Sam, I go and I struggle in school, and that's called Wednesday. And then, Sam, I'm faced with more opportunities, and it's called Thursday. Every day of the week, I don't know if I have what it takes to actually follow Jesus and die. But I have good news for you. I have good news. I have gospel for you. I have good news about what God is doing in his kingdom. And this is the good news, friends. Jesus can give you a new heart. Jesus can give you a new heart that produces that priority, that produces new values in you, that produces a new perspective. The things right now that you look at and you go, man, Sam, there's no way that when I go home on Tuesday and my friend offers this to me, there's no way I'm going to have the strength to say no. And on one hand, you're right, dude. You're right, you don't. 
But one of the things that we get when we respond to Jesus, one of the things that we get when we come into the kingdom, he gives us a new heart. He makes us brand new. And this heart produces new desires. How many of you, when you do things that are wrong, you feel bad? Yeah. How many of you, keep your hands up, how many of you feel bad about things that you used to not feel bad about? You have a new heart. You have new priorities. You have a new value. You've been reborn. Your heart has been regenerated. That's what God gives us. And so tonight as we respond, I'll have the band come up. Here's our response tonight. I'm asking you, are you willing to come and die? Going home to Vancouver and living for Jesus, living as a Christian, means more than going to church. It means more than giving. It means more than affiliating with your local church organization. It means having a lifestyle of death to self. And if you're here tonight and you say, I'm willing to die, but I need Jesus to make my heart new, I want you to just raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you're like, Sam, that's me, dude. I, I need God to make my heart new. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. Good. Yes, I'll pray. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to pray for you, ladies. Yes, I will. He'll answer that prayer. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. Yep. I'll pray for you guys in the back. Good. Yeah, I'll pray for you, Keaton. Yeah, Sam, I'll pray. I'm going to pray. Yes. Yep. I see all of you here. I'll pray. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do, all right? I'm going to pray right now for you, and I'm going to have you stand, and I want you to just respond tonight. And I want you to respond in one of two ways. The first way is you're here, and you're saying, Jesus, make my heart new. You're here, and you're saying, Jesus, I want to have the strength and the desire to come to you and die. Jesus, I want to live differently because I've lived for you and I follow you, but I need you to continue to make my heart new. And so maybe you come forward, maybe you go to the back and pray with your leader, maybe you pray with a friend, but perhaps your prayer tonight is, Jesus, just continue to make my heart new. But if you're here tonight, maybe there's some of you here tonight, and you say, you know what? I've actually never come to Jesus. I mean, I've been to church and I've been to youth group and, I, and I've kind of been affiliated, but I don't think I've actually ever come to the point. I've never come to the decision point of saying, here's who I think Jesus is and I'm gonna follow him and die and I'm gonna have him make my heart new. My heart is not regenerate. I'm not in the kingdom. I'm not saved. I haven't surrendered my life to Jesus. If that's you tonight, I want you to respond as well. And I want you to come forward. I want you to grab your leader. And I want you to say, listen, I want to follow Jesus. And maybe I've even, you know, I've tried before. Or maybe I've even said a prayer when I was a little kid. Or maybe I've even been baptized as a baby. Or I was baptized in second grade. Whatever that is. But I know that I'm not living. I know I'm not saved. I know I'm not a Christian. And tonight I want to become a Christian. Tonight I want to make the commitment. Not to be perfect, but to die. And follow Jesus. The way to life, students, is through death. Let's respond. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth. I thank you that Jesus was not just a great teacher or a prophet, but that he was God, the king of your kingdom, Father. And so, Father, I pray that you would grant us the blessing of being able to follow your king. Lord, I pray that the light of the gospel of the glory of God would turn on in these students' hearts. God, I pray that they would see who you are and they would see how beautiful you are. And Lord, like an explosion in their chest, 
a desire and affection would be birthed for you, God. Lord, I pray for the coldest hearts in this room, those that are indifferent and apathetic, and maybe they're even just here just to go through the motions. Lord, I pray that you would melt their hearts. I pray that you would give them new hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would take their heart of stone and you would breathe life on it, God. Lord, save people tonight. Save people, God. Deliver them from the domain of darkness. Deliver them from their pursuits that are just leading them to death and hell. And Lord, pick them up, pluck them, Lord, in your hand, and place them on the path of death that actually leads to life. And then, Lord, I pray for those students in here that are Christians, Lord, who have a new heart, Lord, who feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of them. I thank you for their redemption. I genuinely thank you, Lord, for saving them. Thank you that you have changed their eternal destinies, God, because only you can do that. But Lord, I pray that the sin that still dwells within their heart, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength by your Holy Spirit to say no. Father, I pray that they would sense your presence and your nearness, walking with them through those school halls, walking through with them through their homes, walking through them, walking with them as they surf the web and as they, as they go with their friends' homes and as they go in their cars and go to their different places. I pray that they would feel you so near that they would act on the desires of their new heart and not on the desires of the sin that still indwells in their flesh. Create a people, Lord, that are holy, and set apart for you. I pray that this, your bride, that your church, those whom you've saved, would continue to grow and progress in their faith so that by the time you come back, Lord, that you would find them still holding on in faith. Help them persevere, Lord. And Jesus, I just wanna end my prayer by declaring your praises because Lord, you are beautiful. You are a king worth following, Jesus. I give you my life. Lord, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. You are my King, Jesus. And what a privilege it is to see and understand the gospel. Thank you that you have granted it to me to believe. And thank you that you have granted it to me that I may suffer with you, that I may follow in your footsteps of suffering and rejection and even death. Because I know that when I follow your footsteps that way, I will also end in the same destination that you ended in, God. I'll reign with you, Lord. I will, I will live with you in my glorified body. I will be resurrected from the dead and I will know death no more. Thank you that I'm going there with you, God. Lord, as we respond tonight, would you speak to our hearts in a very powerful way? Would you speak to our hearts, Lord, because we need it. Thank you for giving us new hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.